Hi, welcome to Witch Witch is Witch, a pop culture podcast about ladies who use magic. I'm Regina. And I'm Derek. And today we've got one witch who is the chosen one who will save her people and one who wants to destroy the chosen one because screw that. So Regina, let's just jump right in. Let's do it. Tell me about your witch. Who are you talking about today? I'm talking about the one trying to get rid of a chosen one, Bavmorda, an evil witch queen in the fantasy movie Willow. You dare to challenge me? You're not warriors. You're pigs. Bavmorda hears a prophecy that a female child with a special birthmark will be Bavmorda's downfall. She imprisons all pregnant women in her realm to prevent this from happening. When the prophesized child, Alora Dunnan, is born, a midwife secrets her away in a Moses in the Basket style getaway, and the majority of the movie is about how, when Alora floats down to a village where the Nelwyn live, father of the year, and awesome magic user Willow needs to get her back to her Daikini village and help her to fulfill the prophecy of taking down Bevmorda. Now, my primary memories of the film Willow are a collection of color-changing plastic cups we got from Pizza Hut when I was a kid. That's all you need to know. So I assume the movie has something to do with color-changing plastic cups. <laughs> no, I know it's Val Kilmer, and I don't think there's any pizza in the movie. No, there are pigs, though, and cups at one point. I believe there's a lot of sleight of hand magic that Willow performs. So maybe that's the cup connection. I'm not sure. So the first law of witchiness is that the witch in question identify as female. Can you tell me, does Bavmorda identify as female? She does identify as female. And the interesting thing to me here is that this story has a framework that resembles the Snow White tale, but without the emphasis on beauty norms. You see, Bavmorda doesn't want to get rid of Alora Dunnan because she's pretty. She wants to get rid of Alora because she will take away Bavmorda's power as queen and ruler of their lands. We'll touch on this more a little bit later, but suffice it to say, Bavmorda does identify as female. Rule number two of witchiness is that the subject practice magic. Can you give me some examples of the types of magic that Bavmorda does in the film Willow? Bavmorda definitely practices magic. Two examples come to mind right away for me when she does the magic ritual that attempts to destroy Alora Dunnan and the witch battle she has with Finn Raziel, who's another witch in the film. And the battle is great because it reminds me a little bit of the Gandalf versus Saruman battle in Lord of the Rings, only slightly better because it's witches and slightly not as cool because there's no Christopher Lee. Bevmorda also turns a bunch of soldiers into pigs. See, I told you there were pigs. And as we've discussed before, transmutation is rad. Yes, transmutation is one of the very coolest of magics. So the we're just burning through it because I know we got a lot to talk about today. Burning through. Third rule of witchiness is that the witch in question practice feminism. Can you tell me if and how Bavmorda practices feminism? Uh, not especially. Maybe in her youth? I don't know. Mostly she spends her time trying to guard her power from an up-and-coming young lady. Baby? Young baby? And tries to get her own daughter to do her bidding. So... Sorry, Bevmorda, you're not super supportive of your fellow ladies, and that's not very cool. It is cool that you help this movie pass the Bechdel test and all, but 
I don't know that I can come up with a compelling argument in favor of feminism for you. So I'm gonna leave Bev Morda in her tower and talk about Willow instead, the movie's hero, for a second. Yeah, So let's talk about the actual story <laughs> of Willow. Let's stop focusing on the antagonist and talk about the movie Willow for a minute. Tell me about Willow. I'm gonna tell you about Willow. And the reason I'm gonna tell you about Willow is because he is a man who practices magic. He's a farmer, he's a father, and the erstwhile caretaker of Alora Dunnan. You want feminism in Willow? Look no further than Willow Offgood. He works hard in his community. He loves his family deeply. He cares for Alora despite the fact that she's not his daughter or even his race. Yay, intersectionality! Ooh. And he defies the patriarchy by capably taking care of the infant Alora without the normal, oh, this is woman's work nonsense you normally see when men take care of babies. No. Willow, I know you identify as male, but in my book, you are 100% a witch if you want to be. Nice. Does Willow himself practice magic at all during the movie? He does. Not only does he practice sleight of hand magic, but he practices actual sorcery. The whole crux of his arc is that he wants to be a sorcerer and needs to find the power within himself to make this magic happen. Nice. I've been meaning to rewatch this movie for years because it keeps coming up in conversation. And I know I saw it when I was a preteen. It's charming. I know I did, but still, my my main memories are those stupid plastic cups we got when I was a kid, primarily because one of them was the one that I used to rinse my mouth when I was brushing my teeth. So I always associated Willow and Val Kilmer with, with dental my hygiene? teeth clean mm. when I was a kid. I'm sure Val yeah. Kilmer would appreciate the association with dental hygiene. Yeah, maybe. Mostly I think of him in that movie as being in that cage. I mostly associate Val Kilmer with real genius. No, I'm sorry. It's like one of those college prank movies where like the, the cute guy is going to like do all the pranks because he doesn't want to take school seriously, but it's a school for geniuses. And like he's the third smartest scientist in the world, but cracked under the pressure a little bit and was like, nah, screw it. I'm just going to make a slip and slide. Okay, but are there witches? No, it's science. It's pure science. Okay, that's probably why I haven't seen it. Well, moving back to the subject at hand, Bavmorda, the bad guy, bad gal, bad girl. The fourth law of witchiness is that the witch in question come from a place of misunderstanding or persecution. Is Bavmorda misunderstood or persecuted? Yes, I believe she is. In so much that I have no idea how she got to her position of power or how she got to be so evil and afraid of losing her power. Like, maybe she had to break a lot of glass ceilings to get there? I don't know, I'm not sure. But she's persecuted as well, in so much that Finn Raziel, the other major witch in the film, is trying to stop her from performing the ritual to send Alora's soul into oblivion. Is that persecution? She's just trying to stop her from doing a spell that is perceived to be not so good. Does that count as persecution? Well, I guess it depends on whether or not you're talking about persecution from the perspective of the one being persecuted, or if you're talking about it from like... Like a third party perspective. True, everything is a matter of perspective. I'll allow it. But definitely misunderstood in that I have no idea about any of these things about her. I misunderstood mean, in that you, by <laughs> definition, do not understand her. I do not understand her. But the is thing that is, misunderstood you know, or disunderstood? I'm not sure. Non-understood. Non is the opposite of understood overstood? I, I, it depends on how you're going to use your prepositions, mm. I guess. It's, just, it's another form of magic. That works. 
I'm cool with it. Yeah. Uh, linguistics is definitely something they cover in magic school. So it has to be. They right? would know the Latin root of those. I'm words. convinced that the Merriam-Webster Twitter is run by witches too. By the way, have you seen their Twitter feed? It's fantastic. Oh, it's hot, hot fire. Merriam-Webster is on point. So moving <laughs> on to the fifth and final rule of witchiness, can you tell me is Bavmorda bonded to a sentience larger than herself? Okay, so according to a wiki about Bavmorda that I read, she was trained by a fairy queen, Trilindria, and later finds a book of dark magic that is in fact sentient, called the Malatrium. So, yes, definitely bonded to a questionable tome of dark magic. Oh, we do so love sentient tomes, don't oh, we? I love a sentient Like tome. book in Hocus Pocus. Ooh. Or uh, I was always a great fan of the Necronomicon in Evil Dead 2. Absolutely. That book was awesome. It continues to be awesome. Come to think of it, they were both bound in human flesh, weren't they? Yes. Human flesh books are pretty rad. I think this dark magic book was probably bound in human flesh, too. It's the only way to bind your magical books. And also make them sentient, too, I think. Apparently. Next time you're trying to rustle up a sentient tome of magic just find it in human flesh don't tell anybody that we told you to do that yeah, head down to your local fabric store and make sure you get a nice fresh spool of the human flesh to bind okay so since my witch wanted to destroy a chosen one that means derek your witch must be cora the avatar from the legend of cora on nickelodeon <clears throat> hello i'm cora your new avatar. Does this mean you've moved to Republic City? Were you trying to send a message to the Triads yesterday? Will you be fighting crime or the anti-bending revolution, or both? Will you be working with Chief Beifong and the police? Uh, yes, I am definitely here to stay, but honestly, I, I don't exactly have a plan yet. See, I'm still in training, but look, all I know is Avatar Aang meant for this city to be the center of peace and balance in the world. And I believe we can make his dream a reality. Korra is the avatar, the person who serves as a bridge between the mortal world and the spirit world. She uses her considerable power to fight crime, encourage spiritual enlightenment, and play sports because, let's face it, when you're a seemingly all-powerful teenager moving to the big city from your rural hometown, spirituality isn't nearly as important as bright lights, fame, and cute boys. Or cute girls, but we'll get to that later. I watched maybe a handful of Avatar The Last Airbender, and then when Korra came out, I actually dove right into that and watched a whole bunch of it and had a great time. Yeah, you I can really enjoy it. You can totally enjoy the two shows separately. They tell whole stories of their own, but you get a lot more of a rich mythology if you watch the two together. Plus, the ages of the characters sort of carry over, so if you're watching together, you sort of get that emotional maturity as it goes along. Throughout Avatar The Last Airbender, the main characters range in age between like 12 and 17, and then across the length of Legend of Korra, the main characters go from 17 to 21. Hmm. You start in like the pre-teens, early teens, work your way up to really like puberty in Avatar The Last Airbender, and then when Korra starts, they're fully pubescent teens, and they work their way into being young adults. Interesting. 
Maybe that's part of the reason why I like it a little bit more of the YA market, a little less middle grade. Whereas Avatar The Last Airbender is very, you know, Eastern European fantasy. Legend of Korra takes place about 100 years later, and it is full on steampunk. Like Mm -hmm. they've absolutely Mm -hmm. gone industrial revolution. And now there's just steampunk mechs and vehicles everywhere. And they've got like big brass band music playing. Like they absolutely moved it forward 100 years in culture. And they did it very smartly. So let's get into the laws of witchiness, shall we? The first rule of witchiness is that the witch in question identifies female. Does Cora identify as female? Yes, Cora is a young woman. As I mentioned, she was 17 years old when she left her home near the South Pole. And she's a bit of a tomboy. She's confident in her fire, earth, and water bending, which are a lot like martial arts. And when she moves into the air temple to study there, she regularly sneaks out at night in order to go check out the pro-bending match which is an arena sport that's like a cross between rugby, fencing, and magic. She becomes instantly smitten with one of the athletes, Mako, who is a classic sort of pretty bad boy. But Mako's brother Bolin crushes on Korra because he's never met a woman who was so into dude stuff like sports and wild animals and overeating. A love triangle ensues and it is the worst thing. Love triangles usually are the worst thing. I want to go back to the wild animals and sports and overeating. I don't know why, but it immediately made me think of um sailor moon Mm -hmm. probably because of the overeating and i because usagi was always eating on that show and i identify with that really deeply absolutely everyone always like made fun of i mean if you're watching the japanese version usagi if you're watching the american version serena everyone always made fun of her because she was always eating and she was late for school and she was playing video games and reading comics and i was like she sounds awesome she's great like that's the perfect person i want to eat food and read comics and play video Video games. Let's do that. Let's do that I mean, thing. I'll pay more attention in school, but those things are my favorite things. Yeah. Yeah. So I totally get why Bullen would be like, yeah, Cora, you're great. Because she's great, let's be honest. Yeah. One of the things that's consistent across all of the avatars through history in that show is they always have like an animal best buddy. Mm-hmm. It's not a rule, but they all seem to do it anyway. And Cora has this polar bear lion named Naga. Yeah. And Bolin is amazed by this like big burly polar bear that's like a little kitten to her but a big beast to everyone else maybe he's a polar bear wolf i was never really sure all the animals in the avatar universe are like two common animals mixed together and the front half of naga is definitely Mm -hmm. polar bear but the back half are these lithe little legs that i'm realizing now are probably a wolf it's good for a witch to have a familiar that's totally a thing in pop culture and in witch folklore but let's move on to the next law of witch Does the witch in question practice magic? Yeah, so as I alluded to in the previous question, there is a common sort of magic in the world of Avatar called bending. These are generally region-specific forms of martial arts that allow people to control or bend the elements. So imagine if doing Tai Chi allowed you to move a body of water around as though it were another part of your body. That's basically what bending is like. The four major types of bending are earth, air, fire, and water, kind of like Captain Planet without the heart, which we already established is the best Captain Planet power. No toucans. But by the time Korra comes of age, they have been refined even more so that some earth benders can control metal, some water benders can control blood, some fire benders can control 
lightning, and so on and so forth. Korra, as the Avatar, has the unique ability to control all four types of bending. Nobody else in the world can do that. In fact, she's got earth, fire, and water down by the time she's discovered as a young child. What makes you so sure your daughter is the one? Korra, please come in here. I'm the Avatar! You gotta deal with it! She can also communicate with the spirits and allow their power to flow through her, which means sometimes she's a girl, and sometimes she's a giant monster made out of icebergs. Awesome. Sometimes I'm a giant monster made out of icebergs. That's called Wednesday. It is called Wednesday, you're right. The bending is so cool. When they introduced the water bending being blood magic too at some point, that was just so awesome. That is possibly the creepiest episode of the original Avatar The Last Airbender. When they introduce the concept of blood bending, it is terrifying. And that is very clearly a witch themed episode. The mm -hmm. woman who teaches Katara about blood bending is clearly a witch. Yeah, blood magic is something that is seen a lot in both folklore witchcraft and pop culture witchcraft apparently because there's something very mystical about blood and its uses for magic it's used in sympathetic magic it's used in folk magic it's used in avatar the last airbender so blood magic watch out yeah and i think i mentioned in the thanksgiving episode when we were talking about the craft and mm -hmm. how they came up with the whole new god specifically for that mm -hmm. That in Avatar and Legend of Korra, each of the four types of bending, the motions they do are based on actual Eastern martial arts. There are four distinct sets of motions. So I think water bending actually is Tai Chi. Yeah, that's really cool. I think you told me about that once before, and I find that really awesome. I believe that firebending is supposed to be Taekwondo. I'm not sure about the others, but I know they did a lot of research into that. So the third law of witchiness is that the witch in question practiced feminism. Does Korra practice feminism? So feminism was a touchy subject throughout the original run of The Legend of Korra. The idea of women needing to prove their value never actually comes up in this world. There are plenty of women in prominent positions in politics business, the military. Korra is a woman of color, and she is potentially the most powerful person in the world. She's a confident tomboy who sneaks out at night to play and watch sports. The issue, I think, comes from the show's take on romantic love. The first season largely focuses on that aforementioned love triangle between Korra and the two brothers, Mako and Bolin. She frequently finds herself unable to focus on the task at hand because she's distracted by the boys. That love triangle continues to leave an uncomfortable awkwardness throughout the next two seasons of the show. The turning point comes when Korra goes off on her own for a few years, and the only friend she stays in contact with is Asami, the young engineer who also once vied for Mako's affections. The two women put aside their rivalry, learn to put more faith in themselves, and the series ends with the two of them holding hands and walking into the spirit world together. The show's fan base freaked out at this final image because they had long shipped Korra and Asami together, and the show's creators confirmed after the finale aired that this was the start of a romantic relationship between them, but that Nickelodeon would not allow them to broadcast a same-sex romantic kiss. So all we got was some hand-holding and eye-gazing. That said, there is a comic series coming out later this year that follows up from the end of the animated series, and the creators confirmed that Korra and Asami will be a couple when the book starts. So score one for representation eventually. That's awesome. That was one of the things that actually drew me to 
the show at all was hearing about the fans freaking out when Korra Asami became canon. And I was like, wow, I have to really, I have to check this out and see what, see what all the fuss is about. And yeah, they totally love each other. I'm a big fan fiction consumer, supporter, and well before that last bit, there's definitely, there's chemistry. The internet was full of very passionate stories of the time spent between Korra and Asami. And so when that scene happened, the internet flipped out. And I think that night, the creators of the show, Brian and Michael, posted on the official Tumblr like, Oh no, we've been reading your stories. We've been looking at your fan art. We knew what you guys wanted. And we wanted it too. So here it is. That's amazing. There should be more of that in the world. It's nice when shows can directly respond to viewer feedback. Yeah, absolutely. It seems hard to do with animation because of the amount of work that goes into animation. You have to do it so far in advance of anybody actually seeing it. Yeah, and the time. But they managed to put it together. So moving on to the fourth rule of witchiness. Is the witch in question persecuted or misunderstood? Yeah, people put a lot of expectations on Korra simply because she's the avatar and they have a preconceived notion of what that person is and should be. To the social reform activists who champion the rights of non-benders, she is the symbol for everything they find contemptible in the world. Anyone who feels that their community was wronged by a past avatar hundreds of years ago blames it on Korra, believing that she's the same person. Even though she is uniquely qualified to handle a lot of the newest and most challenging problems facing her world, people put a lot on her for things that aren't really her fault, and she just tries her best to keep everyone safe and happy. This is interesting to me because, again, to bring it back to the folklore thing. I feel like that's part of what makes witches so dangerous in texts like the Malleus Maleficarum and everything is this expectation that because one woman, all women, or because one supposed witch, all witches, etc. And I think that it's interesting that she, the people who are acting against her, believe that her past incarnation is also still her and therefore she has to answer for it the sins of the father and that kind of thing i feel like that is something that is also true in a folkloric and historical context for witches as well tell me if and how cora is bonded to a sentience larger than herself the fifth rule of witchiness well, that is the Avatar cycle right there. So this is where the Avatar is unique from all the other benders in the world. 10,000 years before Korra, there was a boy named Wan who was banished from his home and wandered around the spirit wilds. He befriended the spirits there and bonded with Rava, the spirit of peace and life. This allowed Wan's own spirit to be reborn into the world at the moment of his death over and over again. The person born with Wan's reincarnated spirit, and therefore Rava as well, is the avatar, the intermediary between the mortal world and the spirit world. So as the most recent avatar, Korra shares that bond along with the memories and experiences of all the avatars before her for 10,000 years. So not only is she connected to a long line of socio-political leaders from her past lives, but also to the extra-dimensional spirits that dictate nature around us. That's interesting. That also makes me think of another witch that I'm definitely going to cover at some point. Jessica from the sci-fi epic Dune. Oh, in, yeah. In that magic system, 
the Bene Gesuit witches are connected to each other through their magical bonds and they have to go through this ritual in order to become the reverend mother and then when they do this they like gain the experiences and knowledge of all of the reverend mothers before them and it's this kind of long line of women standing on top of women in, in like a very weird witch jenga thing there's a lot to unpack in dune oh yeah there's there's a lot there but just thinking about this whole notion of so many avatars being reborn and being connected to this all of the sentences of the different avatars because aren't they able to speak to the unique personalities of each avatar yeah at some point? yeah i at, remember any, this there, happening at several points whoever the current avatar is can meditate and be like i need to talk to this specific avatar right to talk about things that happened in their time and get advice from them right so it's not even just one larger sentence it's like a whole hell of a lot yeah in the sentences in the first series avatar the last Rama. airbender going into the finale ang is having so much turmoil about the possibility of having to kill somebody to save the world that he calls upon the previous three or four avatars and speaks to each of them and gets their own unique advice of what to do and they do not share opinions at all they give conflicting viewpoints and it's up to ang to really sort of parse the information and decide what feels right for him and cora has similar situations where she will talk to past lives and they may not necessarily give her the information she wants but they give her the information she needs so now that we've unpacked both of our witches let's talk about our covens for a moment so if you could have only bevmorda or cora oh those those names are really fun mm -hmm. to say together bevmorda or cora if you could have bevmorda or cora in your coven cora. which one would it be i heard you shout out cora <laughs> okay why cora the answer is cora bevmorda is terrible like she's a jerk she has pretty cool magic. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. She's got cool magic. She's got a great outfit. But listen, big jerk. Probably not feminist. Really a terrible mom. Like totally takes advantage of her own daughter, Sorsha, trying to get her to, you know, kill this baby. She's like really into killing babies. And listen, I'll roll with it with that. Can I propose a counter? Yeah, go for it. Who would you invite into your coven, Cora or Willow? Oh, Willow. Yeah, there Definitely we go. Definitely Willow. Definitely Willow, because he's charming, and he knows the sleight of hand magic that I have yet to learn, and he wants to become a sorcerer, he wants to, like, gain his magical powers, and I've got people in my coven that can help him do that thing, like, it would be mutually beneficial, plus... He's really smart and just really nice. And like his wife seems nice, you know, and his kids are cute. Like they could hang out with my kids. We could have like a whole little kitty table at the coven meetings, you know, it would be great. We would have a good time. And Cora is still awesome. Like she's really great. Like I would hang out with her, mm -hmm. but we don't have a ton. Of, I don't really like, I went to art school. I don't really like sports. I mean, sports plus magic sounds pretty great. And like the bending is really cool. Mm -hmm. It's a really fun magic, but yeah, Willow is awesome. Definitely not Bev Morda. She's a jerk. Definitely Willow if he's an option. Cora's still cool, but what about you, Derek? Who would you invite? Oh, I choose Asami. You choose Asami. We, do, we don't choose any of yeah. these witches. I should point out, Asami doesn't even do magic. She does science, and that's 
great. That's totally fine. You know what? Science is like magic. Isn't there a saying that magic is just science we haven't figured out yet or something? I believe that was a saying in the movie Thor starring Chris Hemsworth. That could, in fact, be what I am remembering. There was one time when I was telling Dennis, I was like, isn't there a saying something about with great power comes great responsibility. I, I believe it was Aristotle who said, I'm the best there is at what I do, and what I do ain't very nice. I had to fit a sly X-Men reference in this there. Is, this is why I always... This is why I always make sure to Google things before I say them as if I'm like, I know what I'm talking about. No, the, because... the magic and science one sounds like it probably is actually a saying... It might but be. they said something very similar in Thor, and so that's what I have in my head right I, now. I, you know what? I can almost guarantee you that that's what I'm thinking of. I can almost guarantee you it probably was said before that. Okay. It sounds like something that makes It sounds total really sense. good. So does the great power of great responsibility. I don't like Spider-Man. So, so, <laughs> so Asami... So she's she does science and she's awesome. She does science and she's awesome. That's all you need to know about her. She drives fast cars. She has gloves that can tase people. She has taser gloves. Taser she gloves. invents a like hummingbird-shaped personal aircraft that can then be used as a flying tank. Hmm. Asami is totally badass. Asami rocks. Sounds great. Blow past the rules and say, my coven has Asami, your coven has Willow. That's it. Yes. Awesome. Everybody's happy. And you know what? We're all we're all going to head on down together to the Cauldron Cabaret. Now that sounds like a fun place to be. How do you think our witches will interact with the crowd at the Cauldron Cabaret? Well, I can tell you right now, Willow's going to be like, listen, I got to go home and be with my family. Like, my, like I got to help my wife with the yeah. kids. I got to get up early to work on the Willow's farm. Willow's having none of this. Yeah, like, you guys go have a good time. Like, he wouldn't be judgy about it, you know? Like, he wouldn't be judgy. But he would be like, I got to get home and be responsible. And I, I can totally get down with that. And Bev Warren is not invited because she's a jerk. Okay, so that basically just brings us down to Korra. Because I imagine Asami yeah. probably has something better to do as well. <laughs> I think so. She she's rich and do. famous. She's got science her own clubs to, to go do. to. She doesn't need a secret underground speakeasy. Okay. So how, how does Korra make out in the in the Cauldron Cabaret? Because I can see her totally hanging out with Ghost Rider. Mm -hmm. They'd be buddies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they would. They would totally be buddies. They would do cool fire tricks at each other. Oh, oh, there you go. Korra and Storm would totally have like wind competitions against each other. Right. They would and, do some wind and juggling. And water. And yeah. water, wind and, and water. Lightning. There's going to be so much lightning in this club. So much lightning between the Sandersons and Storm and possibly Korra. Just lightning. I know she's good at the everywhere. firebending. I don't know if she ever got good at the lightning. Just bending. lightning everywhere. Yeah. Really? You don't think Bev Morda would like just be creeping on Matilda? I don't want her anywhere near these kid witches is the thing. Mm -hmm. Because she'd be like, you guys are all after my precious power. I have to destroy all of you, you know? Sometimes I, I feel like that's probably how the Lucky Charms leprechaun feels. You guys are <laughs> yes. after my power and I must destroy you. <laughs> yes. No cereal and marshmallows for you. Instead, instant death. In I am yes. a leprechaun and I will murder you. Yes, exactly. And that's why I don't eat sugary. Cereals. I think that's a really good lesson. I think that's a really good moral of the story. 
yeah, I don't know, Beth Morda would, she would want to, like, run the place. And we don't want her to run the place. No, she's very controlling. She is. There are a lot of other great witches in the movie Willow who are are not as big of a jerk. So I have a scene playing out in my head, and I want to plant it into yours. Okay. Bev Morda rolls into the Cauldron Cabaret. Mm-hmm. She's starting trouble everywhere. She's trouble. like knocking over people's drinks, kicking over tables. She's being kind of a jerk. She gets about halfway into the bar, and there's Leia Organa. <laughs> Absolutely. And Leia Organa does not budge. Bev Morda needs to go to the Cauldron Cabaret just for this scene to take place, just for Leia to toss her out. Yeah, absolutely. Because while there are certainly witches in the Cauldron Cabaret who have more expressive and dynamic uses of magic, none of them is the stone-cold badass that Leia Organa is. It's true. And you know what? I feel like at the same time, Leia Organa is the type of witch who can see potential in people, and I, I think she would be able to assess if Bev Morda can be brought into the fold in some way. So if the witch mentorship program was still going on, mm-hmm. I think that Leia Organa could take Bev Morda under her wing and be like, listen, you want to talk power? Let me tell you, let me teach you about how real power works, about how really to, you know, to do this. And I think she would be able to like bring bring her around. Because Bev Morda used to go to this witch school with Finn Raziel, the other yeah, they both went to witch school together and one went all dark and crazy and the other one was like, um, white light and bunnies. Not the demon bunnies, but the regular kind of bunnies. Regular bunnies. This might be the first time we've talked about non-demon bunnies. On yeah, yeah. Finn Raziel is totally down with the regular bunnies and not the demon bunnies, which is why I decided to talk about Bev Morda because if there were, in fact, bunnies that Bev Morda was dealing with, they would be demon bunnies so well i think that about wraps things up for this episode of which which is which now that you've heard what we have to say what do you think who would you invite into your coven let us know at which witchcast at gmail.com or on twitter at which witchcast that's w-h-i-c-h-w-i-t-c-h-c-a-s-t don't anger the elder gods subscribe to which which is which on itunes stitcher soundcloud google play or wherever pods may be cast until then remember in the immortal words of Socrates, one does not simply walk into Mordor.